Welcome to The Forecast. I'm KD Dow. I'm Shil Song. Here, we interview Canada's most prominent real estate minds on a professional and personal level. From the fancy stuff like how they made their fortune to the rough stuff like how they survived the recession and layoffs. We'll also go over market insight, career tips, investment opportunities, and their personal stories. Now, let's begin. Today, we are really excited to have Matthew Libowitz, the current managing partner of Plaza Venture and the co-founder of Keysight Venture, to join us for an insightful conversation and discussion about the future of work and also prop tech investment in Canada. Matthew, um, do you mind uh, giving us a rundown of your resume for, for our audience right now? Well, I've been working since I was 11 years old, <laughs> so that was the start of my official career. Uh, I guess, but um, for the first uh, 15 or so years of my career, uh, my jobs involved picking something up and moving something else somewhere. So that was is usually some form of labor <laughs> in, in some regard. And uh, that was great. And it was, it was a lot of fun. I met a lot of people. I managed to earn money uh, no matter where I was or what I was doing. Um, uh, went to a bunch of different universities, University of Toronto, um, and then um, University of New South Wales in Sydney, Australia, and um, Oxford, University of Oxford for law uh, as well. And then came home and then spent the first five years of my career um, at another venture firm. And then in 2012, um, 2011, 2012, I left there to start uh, co-found uh, Plaza Ventures here in Toronto. Wow, that's a, that's quite a resume. So did a lot of schooling. And then, so what made you decided to go into venture instead of uh, going, since you had a law degree, how come didn't go into law, but instead choosing, uh, choosing venture instead? Well, um, I never wanted to practice law. I was very cognizant of that, even when I hit the send button on my resume uh, for law, or excuse me, for my application for law school, I knew that I would never practice a day of law in my life. Um, but I thought it would be a great um, A, experience, and B, a way to round out my um, quote unquote resume to that point in terms of my academic career, because I had sort of the business side of it. Um, and then I thought it would be a great um, aspect to sort of round out with law school. Um, and also one of my um, jobs <laughs> was actually working at a law firm during undergrad, and it, and it was much more again, of picking. And in those days, I'm old enough uh, to say that there was a lot more paperwork at, in law firms at those age, in those days. And it was a lot of photocopying. My best friend was the photocopier. And I was so bored sometimes that I used to just do push-ups in the photocopy room, waiting for <laughs> hundreds and hundreds of pages of documents to print. And um, like, that was like, I'm like, if this is law, it's not for me. <laughs> I mean, maybe I'll get... <laughs> You know, maybe it'd be a good job because like, I can get in shape while I'm <laughs> whatever. But, but in actuality, in actuality, while I was shadowing some of the different lawyers, I saw this sort of day to day practice of law and just clearly understood that the, the quote unquote day to day practice of law was just was just not for me or for my kind of personality and skill set in particular. So, but it was a great educational uh, and dare I say uh, experience to have in the world as well too to go away for law school and things like that. That was a lot of fun. Awesome. Yeah. So, so given that. I 
Uh, given our audience are mainly uh, a real estate base, can you give us an overview of venture? Like, what does that a venture capitalist do? What does uh, a day in life of a venture capitalist like? What is that world look like? Because uh, you know, it's, we we see that we hear about it. It's kind of like a buzzword, especially nowadays. There's so many like startup is the new investment banking. Like, if you ask a uh, you know, undergrad student 10 years ago, they want to go into consulting, they want to go into investment banking. And now it's very much like, oh, I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to be a startup. I want to go into VC because, you know, like almost it's, it's, it make it seems like you have an idea and the next day you are a billionaire. So can you give us the overview of what that world looks like? Sure. But just to let you and everyone else who's listening know, it's literally the exact opposite of that. Um, <laughs> so, um, I know that <laughs> there, there really is no, I would say, I think one of the most interesting things about being in DC is that no two days are typically alike. Certainly there's a lot of, um, aspects or similarities from a day-to-day basis, but every day is a little bit different primarily because you're typically dealing with a, a, a diversified portfolio. And every company always has different kinds of problems, right? And of course, within a VC, there's different people for different kinds of roles, right? There's more, dare I say, front-end people um, that are more active in the ecosystem. Um, and of course, there's people at different stages of their careers. You know, obviously, a difference. there's a difference in terms of the skill set and what your one's responsibilities are at the associate or analyst level or principal level or vice president level or partner or managing partner level. So it really just depends on sort of where you're at in your own um, evolution, career evolution. But for the most part, why I like venture and why I um, think it's really interesting is for people with relatively low attention spans, uh, people like me, it's a great job because we're always hopping from one thing to the next. And I would say that um, unlike other types of professions, I think one needs a lot of resiliency in this kind of job because there's um, in any specific day, there can be numerous roller coaster rides. It's not like a consulting gig per se, and I'm not minimizing this or aggrandizing this in any fashion, but there's not as many ups or downs. I mean, you're you're working with your client base, you're providing mm-hmm. them with some, you know, with some materials and some some work and some help. Whereas we are working and living vicariously for our for and with our entrepreneurs. And there's only so many things that we can do to influence them and help them in any regard, regardless, because we're, we're, we're an investor. And so you have to be able to ride the wave, the good, the bad, and the ugly of, of business. And again, one realizes that after a, a, a number of years in this, in this job, that there's only so much you can actually do. <laughs> and even if you, you're, you're really influential within a company, that doesn't mean that the entrepreneurs are going to execute according to your advice or the strategy that you've helped them help them with. Um, cause at the end of the day, you're investing in other people. Right. So it really seems like you've found a career path that is fit for you. Um, but how did you end up like deciding, you know, VC is the route I want to go. Um, because primarily for me in the early stages of my career, um, I wouldn't even know that was an avenue. You know, I, I initially started out in HR and then I was working in oil and gas and then I went to real estate and like, um, I kind of meandered around to find out where I should be now. But like, did you always have like a direct path knowing that law school wasn't for you? So I didn't know what venture capital was when I was in university. And I'm, when I was there, the terms entrepreneurship, 
venture capital, um, startup, those words, those terms were never heard. I don't re remember hearing those terms once in university. I didn't know what on earth what venture capital was, let alone what a term sheet was. <laughs> I just knew that I wanted to be involved in uh, investing in cool technology companies that I thought were making the world a better place. That was my initial, I would say, grand vision from when I was a teenager going in, and I was a teenager, when I started universities, I just wanted to be investing in or being on the buy side, if you will. Uh, I wanted to be in the business of technology that made the world a better place. That was my, you know, um, idealistic vision <laughs> at the time. And I didn't know what that meant. I didn't had I had no idea um, how the world worked. But that was great, because, you know, as they say, ignorance is bliss. And I just went in and just tried to educate myself as much as possible and have as many experiences as possible in these, in the, in that realm. And that was great. And that was a lot of fun. Um, and then eventually I figured out, um, you know, certainly towards the end of my academic career, uh, give or take, what is venture capital? Now, again, we're talking about um, the late nineties, early two thousands here. And when, you know, certainly the venture ecosystem in Canada was, was minuscule. It was tiny at best. And, um, and so from that perspective, it was very much a hard thing to break into because the ecosystem was, was still in its nascent form and nascent stage. And so um, from my perspective, I just managed to um, uh, basically when I came home from law school, and I think I, I may have told you the story before that I ended up just calling anyone who would take a coffee meeting with me. And I basically said to them, hi, I'm Matt. And um, I want you to give me money and so that I can invest in, you know, these cool technology companies that are saving the world. And they said, um, well, we, we, we definitely not giving you any money. <laughs> we've never heard, <laughs> we've never heard of you. Um, we've never heard of venture capital and we've definitely never heard of, you know, these, these kinds of technologies. So, you know, good luck. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> so that's how the world works. Right. And you know what, it was a great, right. it was a great kick in the butt. Um, or is a great dose of reality that that's how the world works. And so eventually I did get hired into the venture ecosystem through those various connections. And that really helped me um, those first five years of my career uh, really helped me understand and wayfind what is venture capital and who's who in the ecosystem and how to be effective in this ecosystem, basically. And, 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 and as right. a venture capitalist. I see. So, so Matthew, currently what sector do you focus on? Um, things that make money. <laughs> That's a good answer. <laughs> That's a good answer. Um, yeah. But specifically, what um, you know, in terms of um, you know, like se sector-wise, do you have a sector things, focus or just things, technology company in general? Things that make money, and that is the net net of my job. How I am um, uh, graded at the end of the day is my IRRs and multiple on invested capital. That is the tale of the tape. The tale of the tape is how much money my team and I can make for our investors. Um, we are certainly, certainly interested in making the world a better place. We are certainly, certainly interested in all of the um, very integral things that come along with being a VC. And we are very cognizant of our, um, uh, our positioning in this world. But at the end of the day, the tale of the tape is our returns. Um, having said that, we do have certain proclivities to certain industries. Um, we do have a quite a focus on 
on what we call urban technology, which of which prop tech and real estate tech is a major, major focus of ours. That's sort of one one sleeve on uh, under the uh, um, urban tech umbrella, if you will. Um, and then other mm-hmm. than that, it's really just really almost any technology companies. I mean, we don't really invest in biotech or med tech or pharma, pharma type companies because that does require a special kind of skill set and understanding of that in, of those industries and, and, those, and how those companies evolve and the different parameters there. But anything, you know, primarily you know, hardware enabled tech companies, SaaS companies, B2B, um, B2C or B2B2C, we've, we've invested across the board. If you look at our portfolio, there's really um, not too many commonalities in terms of what they do. What's more common is where they're at in their growth and their evolution. Definitely. Um, So our audience is mainly uh, the real estate industry. Um, So is there anything that you're seeing um, or uh, companies that you have invested in that uh, pertain to, um, you know, the the real estate industry itself that you find um, up and coming and something to watch out for? Yeah, I mean, we're an investor and actually, I guess, really one of the, it was really incubated in our office, um, a company called Key Living, um, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Uh, we're thinking, it, you know, it's trying to solve the housing crisis um, initially here in Toronto. Uh, that's the initial market. They're doing some amazing things um, around ha- housing and upending the housing affordability model. Um, so that's a really, really, really neat company that we're excited about. Um, again, you know, our our we look at again a, 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 um, real estate tech or prop tech more as sort of it's not its own silo, even though it's a sleeve of urban tech. You can't look at prop tech as its own thing. You have to look at it in the world around it because real estate, as we all know, interfaces um, with everything else in this world. <laughs> you can't you can't just invest in it in a silo. You have to look at some of the other companies that are directly um, in line or part of that ecosystem. So for us, we try to take a more holistic approach um, versus a singular mm-hmm. approach uh, in investing into a prop tech company. So we look for more platform plays um, around the quote unquote urban tech space versus just, oh, this is an interesting um, you know, prop tech play per se. Mm-hmm. And so, so Matthew, talking about your portfolio company, one of them recently became a they hit the unicorn status. So, congratulations for that. Thanks. Which one? Uh, Clearco. How oh, many do you have? Uh, we've got a few actually. So, but anyways, but you know, I'm just like, yeah, that's uh, it's been a, it's been we've been on a bit of a roll lately. So, but yeah, but go ahead. Yeah, no, it's Clearco. Yes, Amazing. thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So, out of all the amazing companies, uh, it's, you know, you have quite an extensive list, like. Can you tell us like what is, maybe that's a hard question to answer. Is your one of them that's your favorite? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm not, I'm not entering that minefield. Are you nuts? No, I, I mean, I, 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 I have, uh, I have an affinity for a couple. That's for sure. Um, mm-hmm. Specifically, and I'm not going to name them. I'm smarter than that. Um, You're right. Yeah. I think, but um, there are a couple in my mind, primarily because they're companies that we got into relatively early, you know, pretty much the earliest investors in, um, and that really, they were kind of diamonds in the rough that no one really else, no one else invested in them at the time, and no one really knew who they were, and um, now they're um, extraordinarily successful, um, hyper-growth 
type companies. And they just kind of came out of the woodworks. And we were pretty much the only investors in these companies at the time for a number of years. And um, so I will say these are a couple of companies that I'm quite proud of um, in a very, in a very non patronizing way in that they, they, they kind of put their heads down and built absolutely phenomenal businesses very, very quietly in a very capital efficient manner. Um, and they're now on the precipice of, of, of doing absolutely extraordinary things and achieving things that very few companies globally ever achieve. And um, I'm very, mm -hmm. very proud of that. So just to tap onto that, obviously, as an entrepreneur myself, um, you know, I'm curious to hear your perspective on like, because when you're investing in early stage company, you're really betting on the founders because everybody has an idea, as we all know, yeah. idea is cheap. So what do those founders have in common? Like what make them extraordinary? An unrelenting obsession to ensure that their product is phenomenal, that their mm -hmm. customers are in love with them, and that their team culture is um, the most important thing in the world. And their mm -hmm. unwavering ability to say to the world, I am going to execute come hell or high water. It's not so much one's ability to execute when things are always going up to the right. It's what mm -hmm. do you like when things are going down into the right, when things aren't going well? How are you going to react? What decisions are you going to make? And then how are you going to enable those decisions, right? And then how are you going to iterate mm -hmm. on those decisions? So like if I go back a year and a half ago, give or take, or a year and a few months ago in the middle of March when the world was was coming to a close because of COVID, um, what decisions did you make in that, you know, incredible week or 10 days when the world was quote unquote ending? Um, and how those, you know, how did you iterate on those decisions and how have they been impacted your, your company thus far and how have you performed as a result? So it's all well and good to be an operator, you know, and a CEO per se, um, when things are kind of like rinse, repeat and going up and to the right. But what about when, you know, things aren't going well, right? And so we try to spend a lot of time with our CEOs to really get to know them and to see how they would execute in really in the direst of situations. That's really important too. So if you want to add all of those things together, and again, it's hard to put any, any one of those things down on paper, but you, I think over time, one develops just a bit of a, um, an ability, I think, a bit of a guttural ability to pick um, and find commonalities in entrepreneurs that share those kinds of qualities. And to me, that is really what I try to spend my time focusing on is looking for entrepreneurs who can um, have this, like I said, unwavering ability to just execute in the good and the bad and the ugly. That's the key. Right, right. And so I guess while we're on the topic of, uh, you know, being able to pivot during COVID and during this time, have you seen um, any trends become more prominent during this era of the pandemic? It, for our companies or what specifically? Um, it, for your companies and also for, um, you know, investments. Yeah, I guess for our companies, you know, one of the things that um, I was actually really excited about um, in that uh, they spent a lot of time going back a year or so ago, really analyzing everything in their budget, going through their entire P&L and saying, do I really need this? Do we really need that? 
Do we really need to spend $200,000 going to that trade show in Vegas? Do we really need free beer on Tuesday, every Tuesday morning? You know, like, do we really need two nap rooms? <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. Like they really just started to, for lack of a better term, economize and focus on what actually drives value in their companies, not only for themselves, but for their, for their employees. And they recalibrated everything. And what happened is that our companies are now running much more efficiently than they ever have. Mm -hmm. And so to me, and that's almost every single one of our companies across the board. And to me, if you know, there's always a silver lining in a, in a cloud, I think in a dark cloud, I think that's been really the silver lining of COVID for at least for our, most of our portfolio companies is that they've re-optimized um, how they run their companies and almost to a company, mm -hmm it's worked out tremendously well for them. And I'm, I'm really excited about that. Um, and then in terms of investments, um, um, what we're seeing is, well, uh, valuations for whatever reason are a hell of a lot higher than they were a year <laughs> ago. But, you know, it's like, it's like um, to use an analogy, it's kind of like the Toronto housing market. It's, you know, people are always reticent to buy a house or buy a condo because they say, oh, the market, you know, I've been hearing this for, 15 or 20 years, almost 20 years now that the market's going to crash, the market's going to correct, it's going to correct. Meanwhile, every year it just keeps on going up and up and up. Valuations, if you ask to ask a VC, they will always complain about valuations. That's like the law in VC world. You have to complain about valuations. Um, and so valuations just keep on going up and people are looking or perhaps waiting around for something to correct. But the question is, is when and how much and if, or say if, when and how much. And so um, frankly, we're not seeing that. Deals are getting done via Zoom. That is not a hindrance to uh, for transactions, whether they be investments and and certainly M&As as well too. So, um, and now that things are opening up a little bit more now, we're just seeing the level of activity is absolutely is extraordinary right now. It's it's incredible, um, and things are happening much more quickly than they were before COVID. So, in many ways, I think it's really positive, and in other ways, perhaps not as positive. But you know. VC is a long game and yeah. uh, time will tell. Yeah. So just uh, hearing your comments reminded me of this documentary I watched over the weekend about WeWork. Uh, I'm not sure if you have seen that documentary. No, um, I don't think yeah, so. so it was it on Netflix? Yeah. No, it's not on Netflix. It's, it's, on, it's on Hulu, but I, I, can, I can send it to you after. Sure. Um, it's, they did exactly the opposite of what you said. Yeah. <laughs> I watched their budget. And um, it, was, it was, I remember a line from that documentary. It was Adam Newman at a, conf, at a TechCrunch conference. And he said, I quote, um, when a business is at 40% margin, we can control when it will be profitable. And, and I was like, well, how do you control that? And uh, so, Basically, like it's, um, you know, we work with the hottest topic in real estate a couple of years ago, the co-working space, the future, the community, and then what they were, you know, selling, they opened a location in, um, in Toronto, I, I was one of their first visitors when they were, they were leasing out their office space before they were in the middle of construction. So, you know, like just to tag on to that, like in the, um, in obviously to see the collapse of WeWork. And uh, made a lot of people realize, in especially in the VC world, like a lot of them really just invested in WeWork because of Adam's charisma. So be, because he was a really convinced, convincing dude, and then also he was selling the future of um, of office space, the future of work. 
So from your perspective, like, uh, not necessarily related to WeWork, but give after the after COVID, what's your point of view in terms of like the future of work? Uh, is office dead? Is co-working dead? Is co-working the future? Or what is your point of view on that? I think humans were at the end of the day, we're still, you know, um, human, we're still animals and we still crave other humans that um, phys- in a physical way, you know, and we want to be with other people. I mean, I can't wait to see I my team. And to me specifically, my team is like, they're like my family and I miss them. I miss them terribly. And we had, frankly, I think perhaps some of it is a lot of the fact that I kind of create this culture. We talk like a family, we act like a family and for better, or for worse. And I, I miss them. I, we have so much fun together and I miss them terribly. And I can't wait to get back in the office with my team and, you know, and take them for lunch. And I, I think I joked with you before, like I was taking them for dim sum up the street, like, and that's like our go-to thing. And like, we have so much fun going for dim sum and everything like that. So like, I miss all of that. Right. So, yeah. but I think if you look at, and so all of our companies have done, um, analysis of this and they've been doing surveys for all of their staff and you know some com- some of our portfolio companies have you know 50 60 people other companies have six seven hundred people and um it seems like uh things are falling in about um um call it 60 ish 70 percent um of the staff want a bit of a flex hybrid model on a go forward basis mm-hmm. so they want to you know come into the office a couple days a week flex calendars, afternoon, you know, Monday, you know, uh, Monday afternoon, Tuesday morning, whatever it ends up being. Um, and then 15% ish, um, can't wait to get back into the office, you know, nine to five, quote unquote, nine to five, um, like life was perhaps like before. And then 15% give or take, um, never want to step foot in an office ever again. They've moved up to Muskoka mm-hmm. or to, they bought a farm and, you know, wherever, and they're going to just work, want to re- work remotely from the suburbs or wherever for the rest of their careers. And that's fine. And that seems to be, again, the analysis, um, uh, the result of the analysis that most of my companies have done. And it's pretty been like that across the board. Having said that, mm-hmm. I do, I do again, crave, because maybe that's because made perhaps a bit of my personality, but I do crave, um, I guess the the immediate connection of seeing people now again, like, am I going to be schlepping back into my office uh, all day, every day, like I was and schlepping on, you know, going on an airplane every three or four days somewhere, probably not. And I hope not, frankly, Mm -hmm. um, because it's very taxing and, and both financially and and physically and emotionally and, and also on your, on, on your support system and with your family. So, Mm -hmm. you know, um, I, I don't think, We'll go back to the full extent. Maybe we will. And again, humans, even though it's been a year and a half, humans are a creature of, ha- of habit. And so maybe going back to your old habits might just be the easy thing to fall back to, but I, I'm not entirely sure. But I do think that mm-hmm. for the immediate future, once things start to loosen up, perhaps if that's the term, we will go back to a flex model where for specifically like what I talk about my team, we'll say, okay, you know, just for argument's sake, Tuesday, Wednesday are office days. And then, you know, um, you know, Monday, mm-hmm. Thursday, Friday, work from home kind of thing. You know, I'm just kind of. Yes. So if if the flex model, then, you know, what will happen to office space? Because, like, you know, a lot of company has very large grand 
office space if that yeah. only occupies sixty percent of the time. So yeah. in that case, do you do you think you know uh, co working space is really more going to be become the future, going to become the trend because they're more flexible uh, in in their lease term? You know, what, what's your take on that? Yeah, I think there's kind of two or three schools of thought here. You know, for large corporations. Um, I've been hearing they actually might want more office space, in fact, in sort of like core class A type buildings because um, they don't want to pack as many people into as much space. They actually will physically need more space for people. So things perhaps, um, you know, like, I don't know, you know, like the big accounting or law firms, although a lot of the lawyers that I work with there, they love, they've been really loving working from home and have actually been very effective at it. Um, so I'm not sure, but I think do think large corporations and bigger companies will want even more space, perhaps, just because if they intend to have their companies, or the, excuse me, their their um, their employees come back to work, they're going to need more physical space for them. So that's sort of one school of thought um, for the the flex co working model. Absolutely, I could see that being very important to a lot of companies, specifically for, you know, if you're a software company or if you're a tech company, you know, I think it's important that you have, like, for example, your um, um, your sales teams sort of getting together and um, working together and um, feeding off each other's energy, I think, and you need to do that physically with one another, like you need to be in your pod somewhere working with people to get that energy going when you're selling a product, regardless of whatever you're selling. I think that's really important. Engineers, again, really important that they're working together, developing the code, developing the technology. So again, if you could, if you have sort of your main HQ office and then perhaps some flex pod type offices for your different types of teams, I could see that model. And I, and in fact, I think that's what a lot of my companies are going to kind of move towards, move to this flex model. So I could see the flex model being very, very important. And even for myself, like I could see myself moving on more of a flex model. I mean, obviously I have got my main office, but perhaps I could see myself, you know, joining even something, maybe not WeWork or someone, something like a WeWork where I have the opportunity to work in different offices throughout the city. I mean, why not? Right. Like it could be pretty interesting, but as long as I've got my mobile phone, my cell phone, I feel like I'm pretty good anyways. I've, you know, I'm, yeah. Yeah, no, it definitely it seems like um obviously like you said before some good has come out of pandemics and bad like it really seems like um you know it it has really accelerated the way that we we think about work. So um as to what will happen in the future, you know, it's a we'll see kind of thing. Um Yeah. One last question I have for my real estate folks that are uh, listening as well. You know, like we said, we hear about VC all the time. What would you say to somebody who works in like the brokerage space or the investment space or the appraisal space that is like, huh, like uh, it might be cool to try like, you know, the VC route in terms of, you know, the prop tech space or um, urban, like you mentioned before, how do you, like, what kind of skills would you say are needed to transition into something like that? And um, what's the first step for, for, for somebody um, who's just in the real estate space, but um, excited and um, sees, sees themselves um, moving to VC? Well, do you mean VC or do you mean to work for a, te- a prop tech company, for example? Um, I, th- I would say both. What are your thoughts on both? Well, VC, that's not, so- we wouldn't hire somebody out of that space. Like the, mm-hmm. I think we're looking for more of a, a specific skill set. to be honest with you. Um, so I'm not sure that would be a direct fit for anyone in terms of the folks types of aforementioned, um, uh, you know, the people that you just meant. 
or mentioned. Um, but in terms of joining, you know, quote unquote, a prop tech company, there's no shortage of just in Toronto. There's probably thousands of jobs available right now in the quote unquote prop tech industry right now for folks that are looking to transition from the call it old world economy type style to more of the new world economy style. There's, there's no shortage. And frankly, I think we sh- what, what the, a lot of these tech companies need are people coming from uh, experienced individuals who have been working in these, dare I say, quote unquote, old, old world um, economy type jobs to transition, to bring their skill sets and expertise and knowledge of the industry into the fast transitioning, hyper growth type tech companies. I think that is very much needed. Um, specifically even senior folks out there um, who have been perhaps in the real estate industry um, for 15, 20 years longer, um, those people are are really needed in the tech industry right now, which again is still a younger, typically a younger industry. So I would love to see more people transition and basically take that risk because uh, <laughs> it is a risk very much so into more of a tech company. I think that would be interesting. I mean, that's easy for me to say, but um, I, I think that that would be great for our industry as a whole. Yeah, that's that's amazing. And uh, Matthew, also, um, I and I know that you were, uh, you know, also a co-founder of the Keysai Venture, and mm-hmm. also um, were involved with the Sidewalk Labs. And uh, obviously, everybody knew that they decided to exit that project. What? Um, so I didn't know. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> um, yeah, that was definitely for me personally. It was a little devastating because I live really close by. I was kind of hoping that you know to tag on to the um, you know the increment of of the real estate because of Absolutely. that project. So yeah, so obviously they are out. Um, and any comment just in terms of like what you see uh, for the future or like that piece of land, like what's going to happen or I if you have any insider knowledge? I think it's going to be another wall of condos mm-hmm. separating um, our beautiful or what was once our beautiful lakeshore to the citizens of the greater Toronto area. There That's are, so sad. That's like such a downgrade. <laughs> It's a it, well. Anything's basically an upgrade. Almost anything is an upgrade compared to what it is now. Um, but yes, it would be. It's not a step in the right direction. Um, we missed, and by we, I mean not only Toronto, but I think this country um, missed probably one of the best opportunities it's ever had to really solidify Toronto as the go-to destination globally for prop tech and uh, for real estate tech and for urban tech. And um, that was an enormous missed opportunity and something that might, that will probably not ever get again to that magnitude. And it's really, really sad as far as I'm concerned, obviously. Yeah, that's, that's pretty, it is pretty devastating. I mean, hopefully, hopefully they can find, find some better use for that then condo, some maybe somewhere in the middle, but um I guess time will tell. Yeah, um, time will tell. Yeah, so um, I guess we'll move on to the the second section of our conversation where we ask you a little bit more about personal life. What's what's your life look like out of the office? Um, and uh, maybe how, how you spend your spare time. What did you do this weekend? <laughs> well, that's a loaded <laughs> question. No, so I... Uh, I um... First and foremost, I'm, you know, husband and father, that's uh, job 1A and 1B. And um, so my, my weekends are typically filled with um, 
chasing a bunch of little kids around <laughs> and, and uh, which is uh, a lot of fun. And um, my son who's seven and um, my daughter who's nine, uh, but specifically with my son is a lot of fun because I can live vicariously uh, like a kid again through him <laughs> and uh, um, play hockey and baseball and basketball, the stuff that I, loved and loved to do and he's he's like my little best friend um and best teammate I've ever had so playing just endless sports with him and um going on bike rides um with my daughter and a lot of hiking we're a big hiking family just with typically within the GTA the GTA is blessed with literally dozens of absolutely phenomenal trails throughout just with even within the downtown and it's just so amazing that we have that at our disposal and fingertips so um, as a family we typically do at least one or two pretty good hikes urban hikes throughout the weekend Um, and in addition to that um, I basically play a lot of hockey at least Mm pre-covid a lot of ice hockey uh, that was sort of my go-to and um uh, work out seven days a week. I'm a big worker out guy, big fitness guy. And I love that. And that to me is very therapeutic and I love it. And um, so I try to balance a lot of physical activity um, at least once or twice a day with the mental side of it, um, which is, you know, more the work related things. And I work seven days a week, 24 seven. That's really, yeah, that's, yeah. That's amazing, especially right now, like with um, the weather getting warmer and stuff like that. I'm sure you guys are taking advantage of like going outside and like doing those hikes and stuff. So it's been even during the winter, we did them. And oh, um, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And um, also, we did we, the, the rinks were open and we went um, skating on the public rinks virtually every day this winter. I think my wife counted, I think we went like 79 times or something like that. It was, it was remarkable. And, um, so we try to balance, you know, as a family and myself in particular, really try to balance between the physical and I guess the more intellectual side. I think, you know, kind of have that balance between the two, the yin and the yang there is, has been always very, very important for me. And I credit my wife for that a lot because she really introduced me to fitness um, a number of years ago when we first uh, started dating. And that's been a huge, um, huge thing in my life ever since then. So I really give her a lot of credit for that. So that's been wonderful. That's amazing. So as as we know, like now Toronto, there we are entering the reopening plan. What what would be the first thing that you do once uh, the city start reopening? Uh, That's also a loaded question for him. Dim sum is really high on the top of the to-do list. Like really high. Um, As people know this about me, that the way to my heart is... uh, through my stomach. So I'm, uh, I, I think a lot about food. I'm not a foodie at all. Like not at all. I'm not one of these people who knows, you know, where the hottest restaurants are. Like I, I couldn't tell you any fancy restaurant in the city. I don't know any of that stuff, but I just like a good hardcore meal with my friends. I, I couldn't think of anything better to do. So that would be up there. Um, when this is, you know, quote unquote, all over, what's the first thing? I don't know. I haven't really thought about it because, um, frankly, life has been, I've been so blessed with everything that I have and everything that I do. I don't feel like I'm looking um, 
like I, like I need to do anything. Um, I have more than I ever thought I would ever have in this life. Um, so, and I don't mean that in a, um, monetary way. I mean that in just family and friends. And so, um, I'm happy with what I got and I don't know, like, what would I do? I'm not interested in getting, I don't really feel like traveling anywhere. Like we have, um, blessed to rent a, you know, rent a cottage for the entire summer in Muskoka. So we're going to be doing that. So aside from that, like, I don't know, <laughs> I, uh, there isn't that much. I mean, playing hockey, don't get me wrong. Playing hockey is definitely up there. So I guess my two answers are one, a one B are playing hockey and hitting up the dim sum where the old ladies yell at me if, if, if I don't, <laughs> if I don't order. That's, something. that's, you know, that's good. Yeah. That's the important <laughs> that's why, thing you know, it's legit. It's legit where the old ladies pushing the carts say, what do you mean? You don't want the beef tendon. What do you mean? You don't want the, you know, what is it? The chicken feet thing. And, you know, I'm just like, okay, not that one, but the other stuff I'll have, you know? So, uh, that's definitely high up there and they're very disappointed at me when I don't get it, but that's all part of the fun and the experience of, uh, of all of that kind of stuff. But I think, I think frankly, like, I don't know, just little things like maybe just giving some of my, my friends just a hug. Like, is that, I don't think that's so much to ask for is, you know, just being able to perhaps sit on a patio, give a friend a hug and just like, Hey, you know, like, yeah. In a while, the, like, how you doing? the you small know? little things that you Tiny took little. for granted before yeah. that you haven't been able to do for like 14 months. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, and to me, like, I don't know, hopping on a plane and going to pick your place, fancy schmancy, wherever place, I'm, I'm not entirely thinking about that, right? I'm not thinking about that at all, frankly. So um, uh, yeah, I would say just giving some friends some hugs and saying, you know, we're good. <laughs> let's, let's, let's break some bread and have a few drinks and just relax and enjoy the weather, I think is, is frankly what I'm looking forward to the most more than anything. And that's amazing. Hockey. Yeah, and no. <laughs> and, and playing hockey like the true Canadian you are. <laughs> yeah, well, this is the longest I've gone in my life since I was younger than my son, um, currently, uh, that I've gone in my life without playing. So um, I hope I still remember how to, how to skate whenever I get back on the ice. We'll are you watching team. tonight, by the way, Game 7? <laughs> um, the answer is, of course. But uh, <laughs> I... Uh, as a true Leafs fan, um, I'm well set up for the outcome, which is they're going to lose. And I hate yeah. saying that. Um, I have many, 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 many years of historical data that's going to indicate that they're obviously going to lose tonight. So I'm emotionally and physically already pre-prepared for the loss tonight. So when people are crying in the streets and social media explodes, how can the Leafs lost, blah, blah, blah. I'm already there. So um, and, and if they win, it'll be a nice one of those pleasant surprises. Let's see. So we'll see what happens. Definitely hear you. I'm, I'm with you on that one. Um, the, the one other thing I'll ask you is, um, what are you reading nowadays? Um, well, I'm not admittedly much of a, uh, book reader, to be honest with you. I really don't have, um, frankly, a lot of time because I spend, good chunks of my days reading um, documents, frankly, as much as I feel like I should, but I, I'm not much of a book reader, a novel reader, fiction or nonfiction, unfortunately. Um, I just don't really have the time and I'm not sure I have the um, focus <laughs> to sit down and read a book. My, my daughter, who's nine, she can, she can read a three, 400 page book in a few days 
she gets that from her mother, thankfully. And I, I couldn't, it would, she, in a book that takes her three or four days to finish would take me three or four years to finish. Cause I would read like one or two pages and like, I'm done, but I just don't have the time for that. And, um, but I do, I am a voracious crossword puzzle guy. I know that's a little bit perhaps surprising, but, um, crossword puzzles are one of my, um, um, true passions in life. It's how I relax. Wow. every night. I typically do, uh, two to four big crossword puzzles per day. That's kind of my thing. And, um, I look, let's just say I count down the days to getting the Sunday New York times, um, delivered to my house so that I can do the crossword puzzle. It's like my favorite part of the, one of my favorite parts of the week. <laughs> I know that's not, ex- not yeah, exactly that's- the, the coolest thing in the world to say, but you know, <laughs> what can I tell you? My, my friends make fun of me that I'm, I'm like an old lady because I like to garden and do crossword puzzles. <laughs> no offense to any old ladies out there. I don't mean that in any derogatory manner, but like, you know, it's not exactly befitting of like a, you know, of a VC kind of thing. So, but what can I yeah. tell you? <laughs> no, but I can I can actually relate to your comments about reading because, like, you know, being an entrepreneur and also being in the VC world, every day of your life is already a roller coaster. Yeah, you know, so like you are getting so much information. There's so much uncertainty. There's so much newness that happens in your life every single day. Like the intellectual stimulation that you get from like reading books. You know, you I, I definitely felt since I became an entrepreneur, I don't need it as much as before and then also um uh, yeah like i can't read a novel anymore i can't read yeah, fiction anymore that, because i that, that, that you know? that's that has nothing to do with it i was always like that my mother will joke that um, <laughs> when i used to do book reports in school it was on i used to do book reports on the canadian tire catalog like that's like what i would read that was like the equivalent of what i would read in school was the the, the catalogs that you would get sent in the mail uh, <laughs> So I think I was like that when I was a kid um, and I've always been that way. So I'm not sure that's indicative of my quote unquote entrepreneurial lifestyle. There's more of, it's just, that's, that's just me. That's who we are. <laughs> okay. Then I have no justification for you no. <laughs> anymore. Okay. No. One last question. One last yeah. question to wrap up um, is um, three pieces of advice that you would offer your younger self. Uh uh okay and this is one piece of advice eyes and ears open mouth shut (laughs) (laughs) okay keep your eyes and ears open and your mouth shut and absorb and i don't mean that it with like i talk too much i mean that in just absorb learn experience do fail, (laughs) win, fail, experience, just don't worry. Like, and so that's sort of one piece of advice. Second piece of advice is always, always, always put your best foot forward. Always. I say this to my son since the day he was born. um, I say to him, always be a mensch, which in Yiddish, um, the, direct translation basically is always be a gentleman. And so I've said, I said to him, his, his, my son's name is Josh. And I say, Joshy, always be a, and he goes a gentleman. And so <laughs> I always, um, I would always say to I would always say, always be a gentleman, no matter what the circumstances, no matter 
what someone did to you or how much you don't feel like being a gentleman, always be a gentleman. Always take the high road. Always do the right thing. You know what's right. You know what's wrong. Always take the right path. Um, always be a gentleman in every regard. And to me, it's a, a great, wonderful catch-all to, uh, to everything in life is always be a gentleman. That's number two. Number three is, um, and this one is super tacky, but tomorrow's another day. <laughs> the sun will come up tomorrow. Like it will be it, it tomorrow, no matter how important you think you are, there's a greater universe here and the sun will rise again tomorrow morning. And that, that next new day gives you a new opportunity to always improve upon whatever you did yesterday or the day before. And to me, tomorrow is an opportunity to do better. And um, that to me is actually really exciting. Because um, even if I scored, you know, to use a hockey analogy, even if I scored two goals in a game last night, maybe tomorrow night I can score three goals, right? And to me, that drive, um, that, like I said, that opportunity um, of tomorrow being a new day um, is really, really cool and really exciting. And so those would be, I'd say, the, the three things that I would kind of say to my younger self or say to anyone's younger self. Um, and I do a bit of this sort of quote-unquote mentoring thing and speaking to a lot of people who reach out to me, younger folks looking for advice and um, whatnot, because frankly, hundreds of people did it for me. And I don't mind, in fact, it's my pleasure to pay it back in any way that I can. Um, and at the end of the day, I, you know, that's really, really important to me. And so, yeah, I would say those would be the three things that I would probably say to my younger self. And aside from like, you'll be fine. Don't worry. <laughs> it all works out. You'll be fine. <laughs> I need to hear that today. <laughs> yeah. And I think, so. you know what, that's a good point because you know what, I think people do need to hear that fairly often. Yeah. And the net net of it is like, don't worry, you'll be fine. Like just, if you, if you just shut up and listen, put your best foot forward and take advantage of tomorrow, then you'll be fine. And like, so maybe you won't be a billionaire, but like, who cares? Like, that's not the most important thing in the world. As long as you're surrounding your health. First of all, my, my grandmother used to say, and unfortunately she passed away at 91, just over a year and a half ago now, as long as you have your health, you know, um, you're 99% of the way there. I mean, look at how many people that don't have their health or are going through other issues, you know? So, you know, as long as you have these things going for you, you can always take advantage of whatever tomorrow brings. And I, I love that. And that's something that, that stuck with me since I was a little boy. Definitely agree with that. Um, well, Matthew, thank you so much for um, taking the time out of your day to chat with us. Um, you provide some really valuable insight um, in the VC world, the real estate space. Um, and, you know, we just want to say thank you. My pleasure. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you for listening to The Forecast. Forecast is part of the Future of Real Estate Association. Be sure to visit fortoronto.com, that is F-O-R-E toronto.com, to check out our upcoming events and subscribe to our newsletter. If you enjoyed our episode today, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give us a review on Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast. See you at the next episode.